I have a serious question for you. Why is the world of wellness so serious? It's all about discipline, willpower, all work and no play. And to be honest, the focus seems to be much more on how we look than how we feel. These impossible standards can feel like a full-time job, but it doesn't have to. Welcome to Part-Time Wellness, the podcast where we redefine wellness and create health habits that enhance our life, not overtake it. I'm Chelsea Eithoven, a wellness coach for women with ADHD, late diagnosed ADHD or myself, and your biggest cheerleader. I believe that you can have it all. You can experience a life of fulfillment, joy, and play, along with thriving health and wellness. You can have your cake and eat it too. Why else would you make a cake? ADHDers deserve to experience the feeling of thriving, not just surviving. So together, we'll explore the world of wellness and life in general with ADHD. Don't forget to subscribe and let's dive in. We've got a lot to chat about. Hey everybody, welcome back to Part-Time Wellness. I am so excited because we have an incredible guest today. We have Jordan Granger, and Jordan is a sober curious content creator, and I actually got the opportunity to go on her podcast, Still No Plan, with Autumn, and that was so much fun. But I really wanted to have you on because I wanted to talk to you about your experience with sober curiosity. I've just loved seeing your insights on how it's going, taking a break from drinking, and what that's been like for you, especially in your 20s. So I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for being here. Welcome, Jordan. How are you today? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about this. It was so fun having you on our podcast, and it's like a perfect little pod swap. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you because I feel like you're kind of leading the way for people your age to have the opportunity to not drink alcohol and not have that mean that you're an alcoholic or that you're pregnant or something like that. That's something I think about all the time, how it's like that's the expectation. It's just the default in our culture now. So how did you get here? Like, what was your experience that led you to this? I totally agree. And I think there are so many barriers around alcohol weirdly and like around sobriety that you feel like you have to like check a certain number of boxes before you reevaluate your relationship with alcohol and so I kind of for a long time was just like very unhappy with the way that I was drinking and how it was making me feel was a big one for me I would get really bad anxiety and it started lasting longer and longer and so by the time I like took my break if I had a big night out it would be like you know, three days of anxiety. And I just don't have the time for that anymore. Honestly, like I have priorities and other things that I want to be focusing on than like my anxiety. And so after like, that was kind of going on for a few months, I was just like, you know what, why don't I look into changing this? And why don't I look into taking a break from drinking and like, see what that could be. And I had done 30 day breaks before like I did dry January one year I did whole 30 which like entails not drinking for 30 days and all of those like made me feel amazing so like I knew I would feel really good without alcohol but it didn't feel like enough time for 30 days like I wanted to really see like what would my life be like without alcohol and then I found the book sober curious and I had like known of the sober curious movement before I didn't really know it in depth but I had like seen it around and I was like oh that sounds like pretty applicable to me and then I got the sober curious book and I read it and just like every single page I was like oh my god this is me like this is how I feel these are my people like this is the place I want to be and like I want to affiliate with and Ruby Warrington the author of sober curious has a hundred day challenge it's like kind of like a follow-up book so I read the book right before New Year's and I actually started it in like October. And then I was like, this is like too applicable and I'm going to want to quit drinking sooner. But like I have the holidays and all these things I want to be drinking for. And so I like didn't actually finish or get into the book until after the holidays. And then I ended up starting my 100 day thing on like January 4th. It was whatever, like the Monday after the weekend of New Year's. And so... And then I did the 100 days and I just felt incredible. And I realized that it doesn't really need to change your life 
that much. Like you can still live a very full and fulfilling life. Well, actually I'll change that. It will change your life a billion percent in positive directions, but you don't need to like miss out on anything. That was like my biggest concern was that because like you mentioned, I'm in my twenties, I was gonna be like, oh, I could quit later. Like that was kind of always my thought. Like, oh, I can do it like later when it's like not so prevalent. But then I realized like I can still live a full twenties like social life. I just won't be partaking in alcohol and like, that's fine. So that's kind of like how I got here. I think just honestly, Ruby Warrington's book like really is what solidified the process. Oh my gosh. It's just really cool to see somebody. We have a little bit of an age gap. I'm 31 and you just turned 24. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So like, I feel like, is it more common? Cause you said you'd heard of it before. And I do feel like it's been a topic that people have talked about a little bit more often, but I'm curious about your age group, you know, if there's a lot of people who are sober curious, because I think I had the same thoughts when I was younger. It was like, oh, that'll be something that happens later. You know, like I'm in college and now I'm in my early 20s and everybody's doing it. And what I've realized now that I'm in my 30s and I don't have kids yet, but like a lot of people around me have kids. It's the same. It just shifts the way like the times you have drinks shift. And it almost is like, more often now because there's like mommy wine culture, you know, like have a drink because the kids are stressing you out or like, I don't know. It's just, it's everywhere. It's like every barbecue, every get together, like the events are changing as I get older. But the fact that everybody's drinking at every event is not changing. It's like, there's hardly an event that I can think of that people aren't drinking. Yeah. So was there anybody who did this with you or did you know anybody in real life that did this with you? Or is that kind of why you went to TikTok to like document your journey and find like-minded people? Yeah. So one of my friends is super into like her health and wellness and she's actually a health coach as well. And she had done like not the hundred days and she wasn't doing it the same time as me, but she had done like two month breaks and she was like the most, I would say sober curious person I knew. And her reasoning was like all health specific. But she would be constantly sharing resources. And I actually reached out to her when I was going to do it because I was like, hey, can you send me like other books that you've read and articles and podcasts and things like that? And she sent me a big list. So I had her in the beginning as like a support buddy, which was great. And I think somewhat important, like to have someone you can just talk to about how it's going and like have someone there. But I don't think people actually take breaks from drinking at this age that often, but a lot of people are talking about it. I think there's kind of a movement towards sober curiosity in general, but also because we're like right post college, we're kind of in a transition time where like I went to a USC. So it was like a pretty big party school. So we like partied very hard for like four straight years. And we were all kind of burnt out from that culture, like graduating. And so I think everyone's in this phase where they're like, we can kind of leave this behind or we can like bring it with us into our 20s. And so like there's kind of a natural like how do we want partying to be a part of our life now that we're out of like college where it's just constant and that's all you do. And so I do think like there's a lot of discussions happening. I have a lot of my friends reach out to me now that I'm like posting and stuff about it that are like, hey, I'd love to talk to you more like set up coffee and learn about your experience. I think there's interest, but there isn't as much like actual execution. I mean, I always say like the first step is just being mindful about how you're drinking. And like that, I think in itself is sober curiosity. So even my friends, they're always like, I mean, you'll see me drink. And I'm like, that's fine. Like I'm not one. I'm not like the police. (laughs) Like I don't care (laughs) if you're drinking or not. But two, I'm more interested and like more excited to see that you're thinking about it at all because that's how you're going to change your own life if you start noticing these things. And like Autumn and I talk about it all the time. And so she started noticing some of these things like maybe this isn't how I want alcohol in my life as much. So I think like getting curious is honestly the first step. Mm. And that's I think why I was so drawn to the way that you talk about it because I've seen a lot on sobriety and like there's a lot of alcoholism in my family addiction is super prevalent with ADHD. You know, it's always something that I've really worried about and 
just been conscious of. I've also done the Whole30, and that was my first introduction like as an adult of actually taking a 30-day break from alcohol. And now I kind of sprinkle them in here and there. We did a sober march, my husband and I. And it's just like, I like the way you talk about it because it is different than a lot of what I've seen. I feel like you don't have a lot of judgment around it, and you're really flexible. Like I saw that you did end up drinking for I think a certain event you had or something right and you were like sharing what the experience was like so it's not this black or white like you know it's not like you ruined anything so like for that 100 days was it supposed to be like you know kind of like the 75 hard or the whole 30 where you're supposed to start over if you mess up or something like that yeah so I mean the goal is to do like 100 straight days of no alcohol and like I did that so when I drank, that was like six months into my journey, which was like a couple months past the 100 days. And we can get into that. But the 100 days, you're just supposed to not drink. So, I mean, I would assume, yeah, like if you ruined it, you'd kind of start over because I think like you kind of need the 100 days to like get the full effect. And I also think it takes like three months for alcohol to clear your system, like or the lingering effects of alcohol to like actually get out of your system. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so long. Yeah. So a lot of people like that have like foggy brain issues or grog, feel groggy. Like I think alcohol could be one of the causes, even if you're only drinking like once every few weeks, it can kind of linger. So because of that, like the hundred days being fully sober, like you're going to get the best experience that way. But I do think like it is what's best for you. And I, I mean, if the challenge like doesn't work for some reason, then like reevaluate like, okay, what does or like, why didn't it work? And I think the more important part than like the number of days that you're participating is getting an understanding for when are you craving alcohol? Why are you craving alcohol? When do you feel left out? Why do you feel left out? What were your drinking habits in the past that were harming you? And like, once you kind of take a step out of it, you do notice a lot more there than like when you're in the thick of it and like you're just kind of going day by day like you you would normally and so like one of the things for me is like I would have a glass of wine almost every day after work probably like three days a week which like felt normal but now I'm like that's kind of crazy to me that I would just like drink like every day of the week basically (laughs) and so once you step out of it you can kind of look back and be like oh these were things that like maybe weren't serving me in the way that I thought so like the curiosity questioning part of it is so much more important than like the number of days that you like stick on it yeah that makes total sense because it's like your relationship to food right like it's like I talk about and something I've worked on for so long is like my relationship to food and food isn't something you could just cut out but I think a lot of people do think of that as the solution or they think of that as what they're supposed to do right like cut out sugar or whatever but I totally agree that the value is in investigating what your relationship is to sugar. How are you using it? Like, how is it, you know, like, it's not necessarily about cutting it out. It's about answering some of those questions. So what did you notice when you started doing that? Like, what was your experience with alcohol? I know you talked about mental health and anxiety. So and drinking wine after work, I can completely relate to that. It's so easy to like fall into that habit. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that you would mostly use alcohol for pleasure or for like stress relief or what was your like typical go-to or like the patterns that you noticed? I don't think I knew this until like after I was in the break, but once I was in the break, I looked back and like realized that a lot of times I would drink to relieve anxiety or stress, like you said. And like, it kind of came down to that, like after work, if I was needed to decompress, I would have a glass of wine. And then in social situations, honestly, the main reason I was drinking was because Mm -hmm. I have social anxiety. And so it was to like, make me feel more comfortable, which is like another anxious response. And I think that a lot of times I was drinking. And this is like a big conversation to be had. And I posted a TikTok about this, but like, drinking to cope is a very technical term that like comes up in problem communities and people are like, I don't drink to cope. Like I'm not like depressed chugging a bottle of wine under a bridge, like crying. It's like, 
But I do think, especially in women, it comes up. It's looked at as more acceptable, like to drink socially than to drink to cope, right? Yeah, exactly. And like so many people, I think women, especially like it comes in really subtle ways. Like, and you were saying mommy wine culture, there's a lot of drinking to cope in there. And it's like, oh, you're stressed because of your kids, like have a glass of wine. Like it's wine o'clock, like mommy needs her wine. And so I think there's so much specifically for women of like wine being a self-soothing behavior. And that's what I was noticing was like, I was falling into this kind of self-soothing through alcohol. Um, And it was funny because actually on sugar, after I did the break, I realized that I would have sugar cravings in place of alcohol. And like when I was stressed or anxious or like my emotions were at a high, I wanted sugar. And so that's kind of been my replacement Mm -hmm. that I'm like working through being mindful with. Um, And I let it be a replacement for a while because I was like, why not? <laughs> but I am now like, can yeah, like absolutely. Curb these sugar cravings and figure that out. So now I'm trying to evaluate my relationship with sugar as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, good God, I need one vice, you know, that's the thing is such a good indicator. Like, I'm trying to remember if that has happened to me when I've stopped drinking, if I've craved sugar more, I think I've craved like different things, because that's the whole point of it is that we're looking for something to ease those emotions. Like there's something uncomfortable that we don't want to feel. And I think that's such a good point, what you said that, and I really haven't thought about it this way, that social drinking a lot of times is drinking not to feel something as well, because I also get social anxiety or it just kind of like lubricates you to like feel a little bit more comfortable being yourself, right? And I think most people wouldn't think of that as drinking to cope. But if you think about it, if you're going to be uncomfortable, if you're not drinking, then having a drink in that situation is drinking to cope. You know, Mm -hmm. you posted something so interesting. I was like, it totally changed my perspective because I think most of us have heard before that alcohol, you know, is a depressant and it makes us not feel great and whatnot. And we've heard that and we're like, yeah, right. Okay, blah, 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 whatever. But you posted something um, on your TikTok that just blew my mind and changed my perspective about how the first drink is always the most fun. We'll link it in the show notes because I just love that. It was so informative and like a one minute post. But can you explain about that? Like how the first drink is always the most fun and like something about that phenomenon, you almost cause yourself to feel the negative effects of alcohol it's do you (laughs) I'm like going on a tangent but do you know what I'm talking about (laughs) totally so I think the dopamine like first drink video that I did like a while ago that kind of blew up is probably the one you're talking about so yes basically it's like when you drink you release dopamine like that's what alcohol does and that's why you like it and that's why it's addictive So your body releases dopamine and you love dopamine, but your brain, you also suppress your prefrontal cortex in your brain and uh, dopamine high with a lower prefrontal cortex is actually really dangerous because that's like high risk taking and like uh, just a lot of things. And your body recognizes that. So your body's like, okay, we need to balance this out, shoot out dynorphins, which are kind of the opposite of dopamine. And they like suppress your energy levels and kind of that's where the depression feeling comes from and it's all because your body wants to reach homeostasis like it's not a bad response that your body's releasing dynorphins it's just that like your body is like oh this is too high like time to come back to the middle but the issue is that when you drink more then your body doesn't have as much dopamine to release because dopamine is like kind of a finite resource And you don't release as much dopamine, but your body releases the same amount of dynorphins. And so you like spiral kind of downwards is like the curve. So you're starting to get more and more depressed and it's going to take more and more to like lift you out of it, which is a lot of times where people feel down the next day because their body has like all of this dynorphin, but you also burnt through all of your dopamine. So you like don't have any dopamine to lean on, Mm. but you have like kind of lingering dynorphins in your system. So that's why like your first drink is usually the most fun because you have the most dopamine to release. And so that's Mm. like why you get the, I guess, biggest high from your first drink and like kind of the sip and anticipation even is like part of the fun. And then the other thing that's crazy that happens is that your body will start to predict when you're going to have those dopamine spikes and will release dynorphins. And so if you're someone like me who was a habitual drinker of wine after work at 5 p.m., 
my body would just release dynorphins. Even if I wasn't going to drink, even if like there was no alcohol in my system, your body wants to predict. It wants to build habits. It like wants to be efficient. And so it's like, oh, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do it ahead of time to like be prepared. And that's why I think a lot of that like furthers the craving situation because you feel down and you're like, oh, not only was I like not going to have my glass of wine, but now I feel down and this is the time I want to have it anyway. So like this glass of wine will make me feel better. And then you're kind of Mm -hmm. drinking reactively instead of like in a healthy, proactive, structured way. (laughs) And so I think a lot of people slip into that and they don't really know. That's just kind of what happens on a biological level. Yeah, that just like blew my mind. And it still does. Like, I love hearing the science of it. Something about that makes it really click for me. I'm so much more motivated by that when I know the why. And I've got to think, you know, this has to affect people with ADHD even more. I mean, like people with ADHD are more prone to addiction because the two parts of the brain that are impacted or at least two Parts of the brain that are impacted by ADHD are dopamine and the prefrontal cortex, right? Like decision-making, executive dysfunction, and dopamine release. And it's like what we're doing is we're borrowing that dopamine from tomorrow and releasing it today. And when I think about it that way, like you said, it's a finite resource. It's like, well, do I want to use up my dopamine and my motivation and my happiness for tomorrow to push it all out tonight, you know, and then it's just sometimes you do. And it's like just knowing, though, that that's what's going to happen. The ADHD thing is big, too, because like, I'm learning more about how ADHD plays into it. But I do know that ADHD people tend to be dopamine chasers. And so it's like a very Mm -hmm. easy resource for dopamine. And that's why a lot of people can kind of slip into it. And then also like, ADHD people tend to be more impulsive. And so they have a harder time like decision making and like cutting themselves off or setting boundaries for themselves. So if we want to get into like where I am now, that's a lot of the reason why I'm not drinking as much now. And like we can talk about the time that I drank, but for the most part, like I didn't drink on my birthday and I don't want to drink because I just know myself and I know that I struggle with boundaries for myself um, and I always have. And so just removing is easier than partaking with boundaries. Mm, And I think mm -hmm. a lot of that comes down to ADHD. And that's why a lot of people like have a hard time with moderate drinking or like moderating. Yeah. All or nothing thinking is super common in general and it's even really promoted in our culture, but it is something with ADHD. It's easier to look at things in black and white, but I want to talk about both of those things. I'm curious So this is obviously way past the 100 days. And so I'm curious what drinking looks like for you now, if you have any certain boundaries for yourself or expectations. And then I also want to get into your ADHD and just kind of how this has impacted you, if you've noticed any difference in that. Yeah. So I'm still sober curious. I'm not fully committed to 100% sobriety. I don't like the idea of like being mad at myself if I have a drink. I don't feel like if I have drinks, it's relapses. Ruby Warrington actually calls them reminders. And I love that because it's kind Mm. of like a... Oh my God, that's such a nicer word. Yeah. And it's like, that's what it's for. Like, understand why you did it. Once again, like get curious and then like evaluate. So I did drink at my sister's wedding, which was in June. And part of that was because the few reasons, but like one of the main ones was I was like, I don't really know where my boundaries are. I'm not committing to a full sobriety from here on out. But I know that like whatever my boundaries are, having drinks at my sister's wedding will be like on the list (laughs) if I'm not fully committed to sobriety. (laughs) So I had some drinks like that weekend and it was definitely like, I think that comes into where I was able to set boundaries on that day, but it was kind of like I was having to focus a lot on like how many drinks I had been having and like what I was pacing at. And it's like, it almost kind of took me away from the experience And so because Mm. of that, like, it is a lot easier for me to just not participate in alcohol, but it was still fun. And I like felt fine. I think my body was like able to process it better because it's like so rare that I have drinks. (laughs) So that was fun. And then the other thing, like speaking of the anxiety thing for the wedding, I was like, I really want to make sure I'm not drinking for any like coping reasons. Like I'm never drinking just to feel like less of a negative emotion. I want to do it because I want to feel more of a positive emotion. 
And so literally I did not drink until around slash after our wedding speeches because for the whole reception, like the bridesmaids were having mimosas all morning, but I was the maid of honor and I was just like stressed. And so I was like, even if I want to drink to participate in mimosas, my body is going to interpret it as we're stressed and this alcohol is going to make us feel better. And so I waited until we were Mm -hmm. through all the stressful stuff before I had a drink. So I could be like, Oh, I'm confident that I'm having this drink to feel positive emotions, not to like suppress negative emotions. So that was like really key for my boundary and it worked. And like, I think it, it did make the weekend really fun. I was very present for like everything I needed to be present for like the ceremony and speeches and like all of the stuff leading up to it. And then I had some drinks at like the dancing and party part of the wedding, which was great. And yeah, now, I mean, Mm. I think like other than those times, few and far between, I really don't think I will be drinking. Like I feel so much better without it. I'm super outgoing. I don't really need alcohol to like socialize. It definitely is like a learning curve of relearning how to socialize sober. But once I like get over it, it's really fun and easy and normal. So for me, like, the negative effects greatly outweigh the positive effects of having a drink that I just don't need to like have alcohol in my life. Mm, So you've only drank those two times, your birthday and your sister's wedding since you started? No, I didn't drink at my birthday. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Yeah, I didn't drink at my birthday. But I did drink like, I drank at my sister's wedding and the rehearsal dinner. Like I drank a couple times over that weekend, like in celebration, but very minimal compared to what I used to do. (laughs) Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. What you say about like socializing while sober and kind of relearning that experience and what that's like. I will never forget this. Like, so when I was in college and I was a freshman, an older member of my sorority, she was like an older, like very influential person in our sorority. And she asked me how things were going or whatever. And she was having like a one-on-one conversation with me as a freshman. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I will never forget what she said. She was saying, I was talking about making friends and meeting people. And she was like, the best way to meet people and make friends, I promise you, is to go out and get blackout. And those will become your best friends. And she's Mm -hmm. like, it's just like, you just get to know people so well. And that like still over a decade later is stuck in my head. And I think that is kind of the, the mindset, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's just the social standard that we go out and get blackout together, you know, and you did talk Mm -hmm. about this recently, too, about blackout culture. And you had said something about like, you know, how it's so prevalent in college. And you were like, I'm not sure if this is just a recent thing. And I can tell you, I went to college in 2008. And it was definitely very prevalent back then. We talked about it all the time, right? So, I mean, I think you were talking about, like, relationships and alcohol. And so that's something I'm curious about, too. Oh, and I forgot we need to loop back around to the ADHD. But as far as relationships and alcohol, how have you felt like that has changed? Because I I feel like there's probably positives and negatives, right? Like, you get to know who are your friends that you just drink with. And in other ways, you deepen relationships. And I'm just curious what that experience has been like for you. Yeah. So it's been definitely ups and downs, I think. There are for sure things that you lose, but I would say those things were a lot scarier to lose before when I was like in drinking culture. Then like once I got through it, I was like, oh, like, for example, like my friends that I would only party with. It's like, okay, yes, like I love those people, but like we didn't really have a relationship beyond alcohol. And so I think like a lot of those things you kind of reprioritize in your brain and you're like, oh, that wasn't actually as important to me as I thought it was at the time. So there's a lot of that. And then I think honestly, like I think like I would like drink to get drunk. And so I think I'm a lot more able to connect with people. And I feel like when I hang out with people, I really like have quality time with them and it's like fulfilling and feels good and like that has been a huge part of it um but I think because of that and because you don't have the social lubricant you really start noticing like who am I comfortable around like who do I enjoy Mm -hmm. spending time with who is like filling me up and making me feel good things and like I'm a pretty busy person and I really only have time to hang out with like friends 
like once a week. And so that has to be like fun time and like positive time. Even if we're like talking about heavy things, like it has to be kind of like a good friend feeling like fill my cup moment. And so you really start to notice like who does that and who doesn't because you don't have a handicap of like, oh, I'll just drink and get drunk and have a good time with whoever it is. So that's been a big part. And then I'm actually in a long-term relationship. And I think it's helped my relationship a lot because I just feel a lot more secure in like me and my decisions and like knowing that like I'm on top of my shit 100% of the time means like nothing will ever go wrong. And like nothing ever would have gone wrong, I don't think. But like, it just gives you that added confidence. And my boyfriend like doesn't drink that often. He like has a couple drinks here and there. So we're honestly more on the same level now that I'm not drinking than we were before because I would drink a lot and I was kind of the pusher in the relationship. (laughs) So we're much more balanced now. So, I mean, I would say like all in all, it's been pretty good for relationships, but there is like kind of a restructuring that's painful, but like ends up being like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Like this is what I needed to happen anyway. Yeah, I could totally see that. I like what you said about you realize that who you actually are comfortable around and who you actually Mm -hmm. have things in common with and that like conversation flows easily versus, you know, there's some people where it's like, yeah, you might have been comfortable around them drinking and you are chatting and it's fine. And then you're sober and you're just like, okay, we really have nothing in common. You know, it's like... And it's like those don't end up being quality relationships most of the time anyway. So, yeah, there's more room Mm -hmm. for the people that you really do have a good deep connection with. And this is something I want to explore is maybe trying the 100 days. It's so intimidating because, like you said, it's like you're like, I want to wait for the holidays. I feel like we can get into that trap of like, oh, well, there's the holidays. Okay, well, now it's summer. Okay, well, then it's my birthday. Well, you know, and it's again, because alcohol is associated with literally every event, like even going out to dinner, Mm -hmm. it can be really overwhelming. So do you have any tips for people who are looking to implement this, like how they can get started? Anything that's helped you? Because I do think it can be really intimidating. Yeah, so I think a big one, honestly, like, as much as like, yes, you don't want to keep delaying it because there's always going to be a new month with new activities. I do think my timing of the hundred days right after January was really great because it was like January to April, basically. Like that's at least busy months. Yeah. Like not that much happened January through March. That was like good timing. So if you are considering, but you don't feel like it's urgent, like that honestly is a great time to do it. And then I think just reading sober curious and like, starting there is the best way to start and get an understanding of like the mindset and what it means and like following people I was like a creep on so many people's TikToks for so long of like a oh you're sober like what does your life look like and like it made it a lot less scary and like a lot more approachable to see people like oh your life looks just like mine you're just like not drinking when you go to bars (laughs) and it makes it so much more approachable following people and seeing what lifestyle could look like makes it a lot less intimidating when you actually do it non-alcoholic beers are like going to become your best friend if you're not concerned about substitution because they are so good they literally taste just Mm. like a beer and they like fit the vibe so well so i definitely recommend like finding a good like non-alcoholic drink that kind of can get you through But I really think it's just like eventually like you got to just do it if you're interested. Like there's a lot of things that are harder in life than like three months of no drinking. And that was like one of the biggest wake ups to me is I was like, I've done harder things than this. (laughs) Like I can do three months. Three months also in the grand scheme of your life is not that long. Like think back to what was happening three months ago. Like it wasn't that much of a time gap. And so I really think it's like you eventually you just got to like take the leap. I'm like, so you're saying I should wait till January. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I no, I totally agree. And especially when you think of the payoffs of I I mean, I think a lot of people I'm just thinking of, you know, some of my friends and whatnot. It's like a lot of people have never and don't even think about ever taking a break or it's almost like you don't know how good you can feel until you make that change. Right. And I think I could totally see how three months is a good amount of time because I do think after one month, you're still kind of 
in maybe the same mental habits, it's really easy to fall right back into it. So I like those tips. And I'm curious, you said the non-alcoholic beers. I'm wondering, do you have like a go-to mocktail or like I've seen you test a bunch of different non-alcoholic liquors and wine. So what is your like go-to mocktail? Yeah. So honestly, my like go-to drink is a non-alcoholic beer and athletic brewing. Um, Their hazy IPA is so good. Mm. But if I'm like crafting a drink, I love margaritas. And so I love like a non-alcoholic margarita that's like mostly lime and like very fresh. And I actually just got Ritual to like non-alcoholic tequila. And it actually blows my mind how much it like tastes like tequila. I don't know how they did it. It has, like, all the complexity of tequila, but, like, not the alcohol, like, burny flavor. Um, So it, like, smells like tequila, but, like, doesn't make you gag. Wow. It's so good. I, like, I've been raving about it everywhere. I'm, like, not sponsored by them or anything. (laughs) It's amazing. Definitely worth checking out. And I think, like, some sort of mixed drink with that is, like, for sure a go-to. And then there's, like, the euphorics, like, kin euphorics um, and, like, bone buzz that are supposed to, like, elevate your vibe. I don't know if those are placebo or not, but I sometimes like those if I'm in like a big social situation where I like want something a little more or like want to be convinced that something is making me a little chiller. You want the placebo. (laughs) Exactly. Like I want to pretend. I've wondered that about Kin. Like, do you actually feel anything? Because I've seen it's like, oh, this is the chill one for like before sleep. Did you actually notice anything or do you think it was like a placebo? Placebos work great. I mean, (laughs) I know. I don't know. I think it's probably a little bit of placebo. I felt like I tried the high road and that's like the daytime one. And I went out with all my friends and I feel like it like got me to fit the vibe a lot better than if I was just not drinking it. But it totally could have been like fake liquid confidence. But the nighttime one, it actually does work and I used to drink it, but it has melatonin in it. And I like don't love taking melatonin for like health reasons. And I'm also like, it has really minor amounts of melatonin, but I'm like, are you just chilling me out? Or are you just like literally putting me to sleep because there's melatonin in this? (laughs) Yeah. But the other one, I feel like it works. And there's also a new one called Bon Buzz that is like has a spicy flavor. And I really like the flavor of Bon Buzz better than the Kin. And it's similar idea. Like I feel like it works, but it might be placebo. (laughs) I wanted to try the Kin. So that's interesting. Okay, I'm definitely going to try the Ritual Tequila, though, because you have me convinced they need to sponsor you because I'm like, I'm going to buy that. I tried the Monday Whiskey. Oh, yeah. And honestly, it didn't taste like whiskey. It was delicious, but it didn't taste like whiskey. So I don't know. I'm like, sometimes they're expensive and I have a hard time investing in them. But if you think about what you're not going to be spending on alcohol, it's like, (laughs) it's worth it, you know? Yeah. Probably equals out to less anyways. I want them to come out with like shooters. I feel like all the non-alcoholic brands need to come out with like little ones because I want to try them all the time. And, but it's such a commitment to get like a full bottle. And even downstairs, like I get a lot of them sent to me, but I have like so many bottles of like non-alcoholic alcohol. I'm like, I'm never going to get through these. Like if I, (laughs) even if I had this much like booze, I would have never gone through it. So I really like think they all need to start making mini bottles. (laughs) Okay, I love that idea too because, yeah, I would like to try it before I buy a giant thing. And you know what I wish they would do? I could see this happening within the next, like, five to ten years. But more restaurants having mocktails. I mean, I don't know. Where do you live again? I can't remember. Are you in in Seattle? Seattle. Okay, so are there a lot of mocktails on restaurant menus in Seattle? Because I live in Mississippi and there is obviously none here. (laughs) Like, we're always, like, 50 years behind. But anyways. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed, and I actually made a TikTok about this the other day, like, every place has, like, non-alcoholic options. But they suck. Yeah, some places make, like, now, crafted with these, like, spirits, like, Dose and Monday and, like, Seed Lip or whatever. Yes, that's, like, what I want. Yeah, and, like, the cute little gin glasses, like, a coupe or, like, a martini glass, and it's so much better, and I feel... That was, like, one of the weirdest things in the beginning was, like, feeling like a kid, especially because I look young. I am i don't know. I always was, like, I'm going to go to this restaurant and have, like, a soda. You don't want to get a Shirley Temple. Yeah, and, like, look like a child. I'm, like, a <laughs> with my boyfriend who's drinking a beer. And so I love when, like, you can't tell that I'm, like, <laughs> drinking a non-alcoholic drink because a lot of it is, like, the social ritual and, like, the social circumstance that it puts you in when you have a cocktail 
So as long as it like it looks like a cocktail, that's like 50% of the journey. <laughs> so <laughs> I have seen more of it, but I do a lot more work on it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's like, yeah, drinking a soda. There's something about it. I think because it is so ritualized, it's in the pretty cup. And I think that's what I missed. Like whenever I would always try to recreate that experience when I was taking a break from alcohol or even now, like same experience as you. I'm really cognizant to not get into the habit of drinking wine every night after work. And there are periods of time where I do, you know, but just having something pretty like that to replace it and make it feel like a special moment is so, so helpful. Yeah. So I feel like restaurants feel like the next like five years, maybe it'll finally make it to Mississippi, (laughs) but that's cool to see that you're seeing it out there. So let's go back around. We haven't even talked about this podcast is all about wellness and ADHD, but I just, I feel like this, we haven't even talked about ADHD, but I am curious about, because this is like the biggest motivation for me to be interested in what the sober curious lifestyle is like is because it just has so much more of an impact on our brains than we realize. So I'm curious how your ADHD has changed your experience of that. And also like other mental health, like anxiety, depression, how has that changed or stayed the same? Or what's been your experience with that, with shifting your drinking? Yeah. So I'll start with anxiety because it's kind of the easiest. My anxiety started when I was in college and I thought it was because I like made a huge life change. It was because I was drinking all the time. (laughs) And so now that I don't drink, I literally don't have any anxiety. (laughs) So that's been a big change. Wow. You're kidding. So you feel like it's completely gone. Completely. Like I Oh my god. I'm almost that's never anxious. Awesome. Yeah. Unless like there's like a reason to be stressed, like I'm not I don't have like unexplained anxiety like I used to. So that one's easy and wonderful. Like it really will help your anxiety. My depression I've had a lot longer. And so I always tell people like quitting drinking is not going to cure your diagnosed mental illness. But it's also Mm -hmm. not helping by drinking. Like, I'm still on antidepressants, but I don't have those, like, periods of, like, days where it's really bad and, like, flare-ups where I'm, like, I can't get out of bed anymore. Like, I can't, like, function on daily tasks, like, would kind of happen alongside my hangovers. And so that has gotten a lot better. And it's much more, like, manageable with medication and also consistent. And so it's kind of, like, more manageable in my life. And then ADHD, I think, I don't know if it's, like, directly made my ADHD, like, better necessarily, but it was making my life a lot harder. And so now I feel like I have more energy and motivation to put into tasks. Unfortunately, like, I have to spend more energy and focus, like most people with ADHD, to do just kind of daily tasks. But now I actually have that energy Mm -hmm. and like brain capacity to do those things. And so like it still takes more effort, but I actually have the space to do it. So it's helped me a lot in that way. And that's one of the things I realized when I quit drinking was like how many spaces of my life were being kind of indirectly impacted by alcohol. Like if I was drinking and I was off a routine, like I had a really hard time keeping up workout routines because I mean all or nothing if I missed a day because I was hungover I'd be like that's it I'm done that routine sucked and so now I can like have consistency and know that I'm going to wake up feeling somewhat the same every day so I can kind of build structures that I actually will stick with rather than like having a harder time bouncing around and like feeling like shit sometimes and feeling good and then like ebbs and flows and so it's helped me like build routines a lot better. And and like I wake up earlier, so I have more time in the day to do things. So yeah, it's helped in a lot of ways. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm a strong believer of like, it's kind of like a domino effect when it comes to anything you do positive for your wellness. It's like that will give you more energy, which will help you get the next domino down. So it's like, you're feeling a little bit better from not drinking. And so then you have the energy to exercise and you start to realize, well, this is making me feel even better. And then you have more energy and like you said, motivation to do the next thing. And that's why I like creating habits one at a time, because I really do find for people with ADHD, especially it's that domino effect. And then all of a sudden you have a little bit more energy and motivation. And I also think like the thing about ADHD and depression and anxiety, it's like medication 
can only get us so far. Mm -hmm. I feel like people think it's like, okay, if I use medication, some people might have the experience of I'm taking medication, which means that I don't really have to adjust anything in my lifestyle. And it's not that you have to, but it's just one piece of a really big puzzle. And like alcohol is another piece of that puzzle. And it's like, you just have to put these pieces together bit by bit. And then you start experiencing how good you can feel. I don't think I realized till I was like 25, how good I could actually feel. Yeah. Do you take medication for your ADHD or what's your situation with ADHD? Like when were you diagnosed? Yeah. So I was diagnosed in high school and I used to take medication and then I took medication through college. But the issue for me is that at least the ones that I was on, I really felt the negative side effects. So like it had to be very worth it for me to take it. So in high school, when I had like a very consistent work schedule, it made sense because like I needed to stay on my routine. I was like busy constantly and I couldn't just like miss things or like change things. So I took it a lot in high school. And then when I went to college, my days were just a lot more inconsistent. So like sometimes I would take it like leading up to finals weeks where I like wanted to be really on top of my game or just like times where I really needed the extra focus, but I wouldn't take it consistently, which I feel like just like isn't as good and also made the side effects worse because my body wasn't getting used to it and like all of Mm -hmm. those things. And then I kind of stopped taking it, but I really want to get back on it now that I am working nine to five. I have that like consistent schedule of focus that I need but it's been really hard to get into a psychiatrist. So I'm waiting to get into a psychiatrist. <laughs> oh my God. The antidepressant that works best for me is Wellbutrin, which is a dopamine related oh. antidepressant. Yeah. I think a lot of people take it for ADHD. Yeah. A lot of people take it for ADHD. So it plays in. So that's honestly helped a lot. And that's why I want to get in. Like I could get re-prescribed for my PCP, but I want to get into a psychiatrist because I have like complicated mental health and I take other things I want to know like what would work best in the mix like you said like as the puzzle piece (laughs) to really help me well I have two points on what you just said one a lot of people don't realize like how much alcohol interacts with the prescription medicine that you're taking and once you research it it's kind of terrifying and I learned that Wellbutrin actually like basically amplifies the effects of alcohol which makes a lot of sense for like how drunk I would get with like how much I was drinking because they literally like amplify and so if you're Hmm. drinking Wellbutrin definitely look into like how much you're drinking and how it's impacting you so that's a big thing that like I don't feel as much anymore obviously and it also makes your Wellbutrin work less efficiently because your body is like Hmm. trying to counteract things constantly it's like also counteracting the Wellbutrin so your body isn't like actually getting what it needs from it so that's an important Hmm. part I'm not medicated right now, but I'm hoping to get on medication soon. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a question I get asked all the time, like in my personal DMs, because I feel like there's a lot of shame and like, you know, stigma around the conversation of medication. So it's always interesting to me just to talk to other people with ADHD about their experience with medication, because it's so different for every single person. Like, I really haven't heard two people with the same story with medication. Totally. And I'm wondering, it'll be very interesting, too, for you to discover how your medication experience changes now that you have done a lot of those other puzzle pieces, right? And you are yeah. taking care of yourself in different ways. Because I think that's made yeah. a difference for me. And because I had a lot of those puzzle pieces in place before I was diagnosed, And so I think that's why I've had such a positive experience on medication. And I know a lot of other people do not. Yeah. But it's like, for example, if you're drinking like five ounces of water a day, well, ADHD medication is also dehydrating. So you're going to feel terrible, you know, and it's like just bit by bit. But so that will be interesting for you. I love what you're doing. I think you have so much value to offer and I'm so excited to see like where you go from here. And do you have any idea of... Do you want to stick with this type of lifestyle or are you open to whatever happens or like what's next for you when it comes to sobriety? I don't see myself going back anytime soon just because of how good I feel. And like I always say like because I have depression and ADHD, my life was like hard enough. I don't need to actively Mm. participate in something that is going to make it harder. And so 
that's like been the biggest thing with how my mental health plays into all of it is I'm like, I'm trying to build up these habits. And now that I have it, and like you said, like I have my baseline of what good feels like. I don't want to lose that because it's like, that's kind of the first time in like ever, maybe like in high school. This is like the best I've felt ever. So I really don't see myself going back. But I mean, like I said, like, if I go to Italy, like have a glass of wine or like a margarita in Cabo or like whatever. I'm not absolutely against it. I do think for the most part, like one drink, if I do drink, will be kind of my limit. But I don't know. I just, I feel so good. And the life that I've built is so important to me. The time that I have, the energy that I have is so like precious to me that I really don't want to like sacrifice that for a few cocktails that might make night outs with my friend like a little bit better. So, I mean, I don't have any like strict rules on it, but I don't see why I would ever go back. Yeah, I so appreciate that mindset. I'm like really impressed by you. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about this, because you somehow things that don't seem to go together, like you made a really big drastic change in your life. But at the same time, you have a really like gentle, open, non-judgmental mindset about it. And you're really flexible. And that's like a really hard thing to do. I think that's what a lot of us are always trying to do. So I really appreciate your perspective and letting me pick your brain on this topic. This has been so cool. I'm inspired now. I'm going to try the 100 days. Now I'm going to say it now. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to start today. Okay. <laughs> but at some point now I'm accountable because I've told you and the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on, Jordan. Where can everybody find you, follow you, chat with you? Yeah. So you can find me on TikTok at Jordan underscore Granger. And that's where I post the most of my sober curious content. I have a podcast with my best friend, like we mentioned, Still No Plan Pod. And I actually just did an episode on how to like celebrate without alcohol, kind of in theme of like going, celebrating my birthday without alcohol. So that one was really cute. And if you want to contact me, the best way is Instagram DMs at Jordan Granger because like TikTok DM situation, if I'm not following you is weird. I think I can't see it. So weird. So yeah. So yeah, Instagram is Jordan Granger. It's also linked in my TikTok. I check those DMs all the time. So if you want to get a hold of me, best place to do it. But thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I love talking about this. I will come back anytime. Like you just are a ball of sunshine and so fun to chat with. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely check Jordan out on TikTok because there were so many more topics that I wanted to cover that she talks about on TikTok. So follow her there. And the podcast is awesome too. Thank you for being here. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. 